This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Thursday, the 13th day of May 2021. Hi there, Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this daily dose of observation, insight, and absurdity. Hope you're doing well, that all is hunky and dory with you, and uh, that you, like I, are looking wistfully towards the weekend. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of hope to do some fun stuff over the weekend. I was already, I was mentally making plans, places to go, things to do with my wife, thinking, yeah, this is her Saturday off. That's cool. We'll be able to go. And uh, one of the things I want to do is I want to go down to Wetumpka, just outside of Montgomery, Alabama, and see where the hometown crew has been working or where they have worked. The uh, They have the hometown takeover series going on on HGTV, and uh, we've been keeping up with that. And and I'd just kind of like to go see what they've done, the differences they've made, the changes they've made. And, of course, that's kind of the purpose for the whole effort was to do that, to to create some interest in a little, a little small Alabama town that eh, has kind of fallen off the map and seen some hard times, and they just wanted to rejuvenate the, the, the town and re-energize them, and that should do it. I mean, getting some national exposure on a, on, a, um, on a big network like HGTV, I mean, that should create some interest, and so we're interested. And then I find out la- uh, this morning, what was it? No, it was last night. I said, so are you off this weekend? And she said, no. Why do you ask? <laughs> and rather than telling her, yeah, I was thinking about going to Wetumpka. I just said, eh, I just can never keep it straight. And her response was, well, neither can I. So, <laughs> and she's in one of those situations where she's uh, she never knows whether she's going to need to work or not, just because sometimes it's hard to get certain people to commit to being, you know, being responsible adults. Uh, wait a minute, did I just say responsible adult? Yeah, I know. That's that's kind of a joke, isn't it? Because nowadays in the in the business world, it's hard to find good, dependable, solid people who understand that even though it's not going to be your career for the rest of your life, you do have a responsibility to show up and do the job. Yes, show up and do the job. Bang. It's, it's hard nowadays. And if you're in business, you know what I'm talking about. Let's see what to talk about today. We've got uh, a handful of things. I've got more in my list than I will ever get into. And I, I got four or five stories here I want to be sure that we get to. And let's kick that off with a couple of stories. Well, a, a, one in particular that is, a, 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 in my view, it's absurd. I, I just see it that way. Over 100 Republicans, including former elected officials, are planning to release a letter threatening to create a third party. The threat to create the third party comes if Republicans do not change course and break with former President Donald Trump. The preamble of their letter, which is called or titled A Call for American Renewal, reads, quote, When in our democratic republic forces of conspiracy, division, and despotism arise, it is the patriotic duty of citizens to act collectively in defense of liberty and justice. Hmm. The letter is expected to be released today. The discussion of creating the anti-Trump third party actually came back in February. Miles uh, Taylor, he's an organizer and a former Trump-era Department of Homeland Security official, told Reuters, the Republican Party is broken. It's time for a resistance of the rationales 
the rationals against the radicals. He also told the Times, this is a first step. Adding, this is us saying that a group of more than 100 prominent Republicans think that the situation has gotten so dire with the Republican Party that it is now time to seriously consider whether an alternative might be the only, uh, only option. Taylor shared that the group of Republicans included those who were once at the state and federal levels, including former governors, lawmakers, ambassadors, and more. According to the New York Times, Taylor declared that he is still a Republican, but, quote, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth because I know how quickly the party has divorced itself from truth and reason. He continued, I'm one of those in the group that feels very strongly that if we can't get the GOP back to a rational party that supports free minds, free markets, and free people, I'm out and a lot of people are coming with me, end quote. Now, I can't help but wonder where this guy was during the four years of the Trump administration because everything I saw happening and most rational, reasonable people saw happening was a president fighting against the established uh, politicians, the established political class, trying to support free minds, free markets, and free people, and resisted at every turn. And what this amounts to is 100 swamp creatures rebelling against those who are trying to lower the water in the swamp. You see, they've been revealed for who they are and what they are, and they don't like it. And this whole thing about forming a third party, uh, okay. But here's the thing. Most Americans, those who voted for Trump, voted for him because he, he represented something besides business as usual in Washington, D.C. He didn't represent the status quo. He didn't represent the swamp. He resented, represented the hope for change so that we could get back to what we should be in this country instead of the fantasy that the left and those on the Republican side who tolerate and allow the left to play their games would have us be. It's this guy, this guy Taylor, Miles Taylor, and the rest of the other 99 or so people are delusional. They're embracing I almost said they're embracing their religion because that is really what it is similar to. It's like people embracing religious tradition and ignoring religious truth. It's like people who well, who insist that they do things at their church because they've always done them this way when doing them those things that way is not biblically sound or advisable. But we've always done it this way, so we're, this is what we're going to do. Well, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you're going to keep on getting what you've always gotten. And that's what's happening with this hundred people, these hardcore religious Republicans who've decided that their Republicanism is their religion and they aren't going to step away from it. And it doesn't matter how true or how right things are under a certain president, it doesn't match up with what they say should be true and right. So they're not going to accept it. It's sad. It's very sad. But to these hundred anti-Trump or hundred or so anti-Trump Republicans, I say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Bye-bye. 
Well, the nation's largest fuel pipeline restarted operations again yesterday, days after it was forced to shut down by a gang of hackers. The disruption caused long lines at gas stations in the southeast due to distribution problems and panic buying, draining supplies at thousands of gas stations. Colonial initiated the restart of pipeline operations late yesterday, saying in a statement that all lines, including those lateral lines that have been running manually, will return to normal operations. But it will take several days for deliveries to return to normal, they say. In the meantime, drivers have been finding gas stations with little or no gas in some southeastern states. Although there was no gasoline shortage in and of itself, there was a problem getting the fuel from refineries on the Gulf Coast to the states that need it, and officials were scrambling to find alternate routes to deliver it. The Colonial Pipeline, which delivers about 45% of the fuel consumed on the East Coast, was hit Friday with a cyber attack by hackers who lock up computer systems and demand a ransom to release them. The attack raised concerns once again about the vulnerability of the nation's critical infrastructure. Jeanette McGee, spokeswoman for the for AAA Auto Club, said, oh, What you're feeling is not a lack of supply or a supply issue. What we have is a transportation issue. There is ample supply to fuel the United States for the summer, but what we're having is an issue. We're having an issue with is what we're having an issue with, I should say, is getting it to those gas stations because the pipeline's down. The pipeline runs from the Gulf Coast to the New York metropolitan region, but States in the southeast are more reliant on it. Other parts of the country have more sources to tap. For example, a substantial amount of the fuel delivered to states in the northeast comes on massive tankers. Now, this goes on and on and on. The bottom line is things are getting back to normal. Like I said yesterday, things will be getting back to normal. But here, in the meantime, in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the wicked witch of the uh, of Michigan, has ordered a Canadian energy company to shut down their oil gas and gas pipeline that runs through the Straits of Mackinac, claiming that pipeline's a ticking time bomb, even though the company says the line has never leaked into the Straits. So some parts of the country are having trouble getting gas because of a, a shutdown. But a governor, a Democrat governor in a Democrat state is shutting a pipeline down for reasons which cannot be actually substantiated. Do you ever wake up some mornings and wonder if maybe this is all just a movie or something? It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. Hi there. For Thursday, the 13th day of May, 2021. I mean, we've seen Governor Whitmer in uh, in Michigan do some bizarre things. But shutting down a gas pipeline right when everything is starting to get back to normal, so to speak. And she's been keeping her state from getting back to normal. She's been fighting hard to keep that from happening. And now I think this is just one more, one more thing. One more thing, power and control. I encourage you to check out the story. It's over at uh, linkreport.us, the whole story. I, I, didn't give it, I didn't give it justice. It's really, you know, it, you need to go read the story. Linkreport.us, it's, it's right there, right on the page. And uh, this one is too. You know that uh, in Maricopa County, Arizona, they've been going through this, uh, this recount, uh, uh, actually a complete a complete investigation of the way the election was handled there. And 
right-thinking, honest, decent people are all saying, oh, that's fine, that's fine, that's good, we should do that. Go ahead and look it over. Make sure we're make sure everybody's vote is valued and is being treated fairly. Make sure everything is as it should be, because frankly, everybody everybody would want to know that, right? You'd want to know that, wouldn't you? You pick your state. Okay, my state is Alabama. If I heard that there was announcement that there an announcement that they were going to look into the look into uh, the the election to see how things were handled, I I, I don't think it would matter to me who was asking for it, um, I, I would want to know everything was on the up and up. And if you'll recall, if you've been around long enough to remember when Al Gore locked down the state of Florida for a recount and they kept recounting and recounting and recounting, just looking for enough votes. They did. And it's funny that they were, they weren't, they weren't looking for recounts in, in counties where they knew they wouldn't find votes. They were only looking for votes in friendly counties. They weren't recounting every county, is what I'm saying. Just the counties where they knew they could get more votes. Because they knew that if they recounted all of the votes, they would probably find more more votes for George Bush. Uh-oh. That's a problem. So, <laughs> they didn't count those votes. And they were basically told so. Uh, you keep this up. We're going to flip things around and the state legislature will have control of things. And you... and you don't want that. And so they, they pulled the plug on their investigation, but in Maricopa County, there's bizarre stuff going on last week over at the gateway pundit. They reported about the emergency meeting that was called by the Maricopa County board of supervisors after the County was reportedly unable to provide passwords to the auditors performing an audit of the County's 2020 election results. They also didn't provide access to the routers, which were requested in the audit as well. Well, yesterday afternoon, it was discovered that the entire database for the 2020 general election showing the results tally and reporting is gone. It's been deleted. The president of the Arizona Senate, Karen Fan, has written a letter to Chairman Sellers demanding answers. Here is that letter. I'm going to go through it for you. Here's that letter to the Maricopa County Supervisor Chairman Jack Sellers from Arizona Senate President Karen Fan. Dear Chairman Sellers, I am writing to seek your assistance and cooperation in the resolution of three serious issues that have arisen in the course of the Senate's ongoing audit of the returns of the November 3, 2020 general election in Maricopa County. One, ongoing noncompliance with the legislative subpoenas. The first issue concerns Maricopa County's apparent intent to re renege on its previous commitment to comply fully with the legislative subpoenas issued on January 13, 2021, which, as you know, Judge Thomason found were valid and enforceable. To date, attorneys for Maricopa County have refused to produce virtual images of routers used in connection with the general election, relying on a conclusory and unsupported assertion that providing the routers would somehow endanger the lives of law enforcement officers, their operations, or the protected health information and personal data of Maricopa County's citizens. If true, the fact that Maricopa County stores on its routers substantial quantities of citizens and employees' highly sensitive personal information is an alarming indictment of the county's lax data security practices, rather than of the legislative subpoenas. Similarly, Similarly, the county's assertion that producing the Internet routers for inspection would cost up to $6 million 
Seems at odds with the Deputy County Attorney Joseph LaRue's prior present representation to audit liaison Ken Bennett that the routers already had been disconnected from the county's network and were prepared for imminent delivery to the Senate. Nevertheless, in an effort to resolve the dispute regarding production of the routers, we propose that agents of, of Cypher, an experienced digital forensics firm and subcontractor of Cyber Ninjas, review review virtual images of the relevant routers in Maricopa County facilities and in the presence of representatives of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Such an arrangement would permit Maricopa County to retain custody and monitor the review of router data while ensuring that the Senate may access the information it requires and to which it is constitutionally entitled to successfully complete its audit. The Senate has no interest in viewing or taking possession of any information that is unrelated to the administration of the 2020 general election. Separately, Maricopa County has refused to provide the passwords necessary to access vote tabulation devices. Its attorney's insistence that the county does not have custody or control of this or control of this information is belied by the county's conduct of its own audits, which if they are as comprehensive as they purported to be, almost certainly would have entailed the use of passwords to examine the tabulation devices, and it strains credulity to uh, posit that the county has no contractual right to obtain, i.e. control of, password information from Dominion. Two, chain of custody and ballot organization anomalies. As the audit, audit has progressed, the Senate's contractors have become aware of apparent omissions, inconsistencies, and anomalies relating to Maricopa County's handling, organization, and storage of ballots. We hope you can assist us in understanding these issues, including specifically the following. One, the county, one, actually it's section one, number one, the county has not provided any chain of custody documentation for the ballots. Does such documentation exist? And if so, will it be produced? Two, the bags in which the ballots were stored are not sealed. Although the audit team has found, at the bottom of many boxes, cut seals of the type that would have sealed a ballot bag. Why were these seals placed at the bottom of the boxes? Three, batches within a box are frequently separated by only a divider without any indication of the corresponding batch numbers. In some cases, the batch dividers are missing altogether. This lack of organization has significantly complicated and delayed the audit team's ballot processing efforts. What are the county's procedures for sorting, organizing, and packaging ballot batches? Four, most of the ballot boxes were sealed merely with regular tape and not secured by any kind of tamper-evident seal. Is that the county's customary practice for storing ballots? And five, the audit team has encountered a significant number of instances in which there is a disparity between the actual number of ballots contained in a batch and the total denoted on the pink report slip accompanying the batch. In most of these instances, the total on the pink report slip is greater than the number of ballots in the batch, although there are a few instances in which the total is lower. What are the reasons for these discrepancies? For your reference, please see several illustrative, uh, that is not comprehensive, examples in a table provided below. And there is a table there. Number three, deleted databases. We have recently discovered that the entire database directory from the D drive of the machine EMS primary has been deleted. This removes election-related details that appear to have been covered by the subpoena. In addition, the main database for the election management system software results tally and reporting 
is not located anywhere on the EMS primary machine. Even though all of the EMS clients reference that machine as the location of the database, this suggests that the main database for all election-related data for the November 2020 general election has been removed. Can you please advise as to why these folders were deleted and whether there are any backups that may contain the deleted folders? I'm hopeful that we can constructively resolve these issues and questions without recourse to additional subpoenas or other compulsory processes. To that end, I invite you and any other officers or employees of Maricopa County to include official, officials of the Elections Department who possess knowledge or information concerning the matters set forth above to a meeting at the Arizona State Capitol on Tuesday, May 18th, 2021 at 1 p.m. in Hearing Room 109. Chairman Peterson, former Secretary Bennett, and I will attend the meeting, which will be live-streamed to the public. Please let me know at your earliest convenience whether you accept my invitation and, if so, which Maricopa County personnel will attend. Thank you for your cooperation on these important issues of public concern. Respectfully, Karen Fan, President, Arizona State Senate. So, when inspectors received the boxes of ballots where the audit was being performed, the tamper-proof tape was cut on the boxes and the number of ballots inside the boxes was not the same as what was reported by the county reporter. And what was returned over to the Senate don't line up. Records were deleted by an administrator a week before the machines were turned over. And more. So as we can see, there is definitely a cover-up going on in Maricopa County. Arizona. What don't they want us to know? Do they really not want us to know the truth? Of course they don't. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. And it's good to have you along today. Thanks so much for listening, for being part of the fun. Scanning social media. Israeli actress Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. She issued a statement calling for peace. And the, the pro-Palestinian anti-Israel activists on the interwebs are having a meltdown. Of course. If you ever want to see which side is wrong on a particular topic, look for who's the most vile in their objections. And you can pretty much uh, you can pretty much tell who's in the wrong. I want to go back to this uh, what we were talking about before, Maricopa County, and just just for a moment to wrap that up, because I ran out of time. And it's an article from the Gateway Pundit and it's in the show notes today over at linkreport.us. You need to read it, follow the links, look at the charts, look at all of the stuff that they provided to go along with it. Okay. And there's actually an actual copy of the actual letter there. So you can see it, not just the transcript. Let's go back to what I was saying before. When inspectors received the boxes of ballots where the audit was being performed, the tamper-proof tape was cut on the boxes and the number of ballots inside the boxes wasn't the same as what was reported by the county reporter. And what was turned over to the, San, uh, the Senate didn't line up. A week before the machines were turned over, records were deleted by an administrator. This has to be treated as an act of intent, intentional cover-up. And the Maricopa County audit team has also tweeted about 
another breaking bombshell yesterday afternoon. Maricopa County deleted a directory full of election databases from the 2020 election cycle days before the election equipment was delivered to the audit. This is called spoilation of evidence. Why would the database be deleted unless there was something massive they were trying to hide? This article is really for everybody who's been trying to convince Americans that no voter fraud, motor voter fraud took place. There was no fraud. Ah, there's no fraud. There's no proof of fraud. Really? 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 Oh, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Just check it out for yourself. Like I said, linkreport.us. Go read it for yourself. Look it over. And share that with your friends on social media. We all have friends who are saying, oh, there was no proof of that. Ah, it's just sour grapes from the Trumpites. Really? Go have a look. Why would these things be happening? Why? if someone were not trying to hide something. Well, last week, journalist Christopher Rufo broke the news that Disney was deploying employee training based on the principles of critical race theory. According to the documents he obtained, the company had some of the most explicit and divisive content based on the principles of critical race theory leaked yet. It posits that black employees are fragile and not able to tolerate questions about their point of view. It also uses concepts found in Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, to encourage self-examination of feelings white employees have probably never had. Part of that says the core of Disney's racial program is a series of training modules on anti-racism. In one module called Allyship for Race Consciousness, the company tells its employees that they must take ownership of educating themselves about structural anti-black racism and that they should not rely on their black colleagues to educate them because It is emotionally taxing. The United States, the document claims, has a long history of systemic racism and transphobia. And white employees, in particular, must work through feelings of guilt, shame, and defensiveness to understand what is beneath them and what needs to be healed. Disney recommends that employees atone by challenging colorblind ideologies and rhetoric, such as all lives matter and I don't see color. They must listen with empathy to black colleagues and must not question or debate black colleagues' lived experience. Now, according to Rufo's whistleblowers, this new program was making Disney the unhappiest place to work. The program included employee affinity groups segregated by race with the goal of achieving culturally authentic insights, according to Rufio. In addition to writing the article for his website, Rufo, uh, Rufo appeared on Tucker Carlson tonight to break the story. The backlash against Disney was swift and fierce. As Rufo noted, Disney is playing with fire. The premise of the company has always been to provide an escape for middle Americans, but Disney's executives seem to have a growing contempt for the very people who visit their amusement parks, watch their films, and buy their merchandise. Disney is no longer neutral ground. Instead, the company has committed to becoming the wokest place on earth. Whatever the consequences. Instead of standing by the perspective that Disney executives must have argued to promote and defending their training, the company claimed whistleblowers deliberately distorted the training material as company policy. Here's what they said. These internal documents are being deliberately distorted as reflective of company policy, when in fact their purpose was to allow diversity of thought and discussion on the incredibly complex and challenging issues of race and discrimination that we as a society and companies nationwide are facing. The Disney brand has a long history of inclusivity, 
with stories that reflect acceptance and tolerance and celebrate people's differences, as we have consistently demonstrated in such popular films as Moana, Coco, Black Panther, Soul, and Raya and the Last Dragon. And as a global entertainment company, we are committed to continuing to tell stories that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience. If you as a corporation order employees to undergo training, it is reflective of company policy. All corporate training serves one of two objectives. Either it teaches job-specific skills and competencies, or it teaches ideas and values to shape the company culture. Having developed, delivered, and managed training for multiple Fortune 500 companies, the writer of the article says, I can attest that the content is always done in consultation with management and aligns with explicit company values. Disney, trying to push off this off as some kind of corporate-sponsored psychotherapy that does not represent the environment they wish to foster, is a ridiculous deflection. A fair guess is that one of the millions of impressions Rufo's expose earned was a Disney lawyer. The entire content shared publicly is a blatant violation of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The training assigns behavior, feelings, and attributes to employees solely based on their race. They were doing it in all directions, not just to white employees. It is a lawsuit waiting to happen. That could be why Rufo shared a new screenshot from Disney. It says, pardon our pixie dust. This site's currently under technical maintenance for a Approximately 72 hours. Please check back soon. So where all of this stuff was has now been scrubbed clean. According to his internal sources, the training has magically disappeared. Perhaps it's being updated, but it should be gone forever. Along with their human resources executives, diversity and inclusion executives, and everyone who let this glaring liability slip through. Should it return, like Cinderella's prince with a glass slipper, Every employee who wants to be judged by their knowledge, skills, and performance and wishes to put them on productive, uh, to productive use rather than engaging in corporate-sponsored struggle sessions should lawyer up. And families that spent several years' worth of savings so their children could immerse in the fantasy of a fairy tale rather than a freak show, replete with Snow White sporting a full-sleeve tattoo, should vote with their wallets. And I, I don't disagree. And you know me, if you've been listening for a while and you have been listening long enough to remember Mark and Mac show days, and if you listen over at liferadio.fm to the Mark and Mac show, you know my wife and I are Disney folks. We enjoy going to the Disney parks. We enjoy the Disney movies. Now, we're not, we don't have collections of Disney memorabilia around the house. That's, we're not that far into it. But when it comes to a getaway, an escape, I mean really escaping and getting away from the world around you, it's hard to beat a Disney park trip because you are isolated from the real world in so many ways. And you do just, you just slip away. It's a great escape, whether it be in the parks or on the cruises or whatever. They're very good at putting you into a different world altogether and forgetting the outside world. They're very good at it. But if a company like Disney is going to do something like they clearly did, then 
I have to make a judgment about whether or not I'm going to spend my hard-earned money with them. And that's something you should decide as well. And it's not something to be taken lightly. If this company, the executives in this company, really do see the world around them in this way, then they have successfully isolated themselves from reality, and they are imposing their fantasy world upon everyone who works for them. And as this article from uh, PJ Media says, then that, that that strikes against the law, Title Seven. And the Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It's a blatant violation. And you and I need to be aware of it. That not only is Disney just, eh, they're a little different. They're disconnected from reality. And if you have family or friends or kids or whatever who are working for Disney, then you really do need to be aware that certain people on the inside at Disney have chosen to embrace critical race theory and to brainwash their staff and to judge their staff based on a bald-faced lie. That is what critical race theory actually is. It's something you need to be aware of. And you also need to make that judgment about spending money or not. There are a lot of people who've written Disney off already, and I realize that. Because, I mean, for almost 20 years, I've listened to people fuss about gay days and, and the like. And i got to be honest with you. I have friends who work for Disney. And what they tell me is that of all the days, of all of the times of the year that you could work in the parks, the people who are the best behaved are the people who have been attending gay days. They don't have the problems that they do with other things. Actually, they said the Night of Joy Christian concert experiences, they can compare the two crowds and say, yeah, yeah. those kids that show up for Night of Joy are looking to get away with things. The folks who are showing up for gay days aren't. They aren't causing problems getting thrown out. The kids at the Christian festivals are. Well, that's a big difference between that and this. And now Disney and Marvel are embracing gay days. You have to wonder what's happening on the inside of the company. If they are this disconnected from life the way you see it. Perspective Podcast sliding into the final segment for this Thursday, the 13th day of May, 2021. And I'm sharing something to social media, even as I speak. I'm about to share it with you, okay? I scan during the breaks. By the way, tomorrow on the Friday edition, I'm just going to leave all the breaks here. I want you to hear what I hear while I do the show. So tomorrow, you get to hear the breaks that I talk about. Because I come back from the breaks, which you don't hear. You talk about, yeah, during the break, I did this. And 
you don't get to hear the breaks. So tomorrow, I'm not going to clip out the breaks. I'm leaving the breaks where they are. And you'll be able to hear them as I hear them as I produce the podcast each day. And you'll understand why I, I do it this way. It's like a radio show. Um, but Lanny Cates, uh, Lanny J. Cates is an entertainment attorney uh, in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And I follow him on social media. And uh, he has been very complimentary. He's, he's discovered the podcast and, and uh, he, has, he has heard the podcast and he's been complimentary. And so, Lanny, if you're listening, thank you. I appreciate your kind words. I really do. And uh, I, follow, I follow what he, um, what he posts every day. And from time to time, I share what he writes with you. And I want to share this with you. First up, elites and elitist institutions are abandoning old-fashioned liberalism based, on, based in defending the rights of the individual and replacing it with a progressive creed that regards justice in terms of groups. It encourages people to identify with groups, ethnic, sexual, and otherwise, and to think of good and evil as a matter of power dynamics among the groups. A utopian vision drives these progressives, one that compels them to seek to rewrite history and reinvent language to reflect their ideals of social justice. And that is a quote from Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents by Rod Dreher. And then Lanny comments, spot on and chilling. States are moving to ban the teaching of critical theory in our public schools. But I'm afraid that the Marxist wolf is already running rampant in the church. HR departments of many corporations, academia, Hollywood, and certainly on social media, Aided by the woke mass media, sanity and logic are dismissed as outdated Western notions which must be discarded. Bullseye. Right on target. He nails it. He's absolutely right. And the reason he is, is because this wokeness is coming from a mindset with no moral compass. There is no moral compass compass. The moral compass has to be thrown out in order to be woke because morality prevents you from embracing the insanity of leftism, of progressivism. And it is insanity. You know, for years we've joked about liberalism being a mental disorder. Well, there's been a recent study that those who embrace liberalism are actually more inclined to have mental issues. It's actually a real study. I'm not making that up. And those who embrace progressive values, progressive ideals, have to divorce themselves from the reality of, around them in order to do so. They have to embrace that progressive, progressivism in order to explain the discord they feel every day with reality. You see, reality doesn't match up with the way they want the world around them to be, and there has to be a reason. And so they embrace progressivism for the rationale necessary to do so. It's, it's a really strange situation. And normal, rational, everyday people can't understand why the world is going to hell in a handbasket all around them. And it's because a small number, and I still, I still believe it's a small number of people, firmly believe in this insanity of leftism. 
and they're pushing it as hard as they can. They're doing it on social media. They're doing it in the corporate world. They're doing it everywhere they can get a foothold. But it doesn't reflect the majority of opinion in the world. I think that if you got everybody in the country together in a big meeting and and quiz them about their personal values, you would find that the vast majority of people actually see things pretty much the same way. But a small vocal number of, of, number of those people would would disagree and strongly disagree with everyone else and would uh, be very condescending in how they dealt with everyone else as well because they looked down on them as not being intelligent enough to understand the reality of their situation. And that goes back to what I've said for quite some time, and that is that progressives, leftists, liberals don't see the world the way you do. Because they wholeheartedly believe that they are intellectually and morally superior to you. They think they're smarter than you, that you're an idiot, and that they, since they know more and they understand better, they can care more than you do. And if you put that, if if you look at everything through that filter, that level of understanding, most of what they say and they do begins to make sense. Oh, that's why they did that, because they think they're smarter. That's why they did that, because they believe they care more, which is why they push so hard for the government to do so many things, which small charities and personal charity have traditionally managed, taking care of the poor people in our communities, providing housing for people who are out of their, who are, they've had a bad string of luck, taking care of those who need to be taken care of. That's traditionally come from the rank and file, from you and me, from us. But people living the delusion of leftism, progressivism, believe that it's up to them to make these things happen and that they need to construct a big machine to make it happen. And that machine is government. And that government needs to take care of everyone. Because everyone is too dumb to take care of themselves. Hence mask mandates and things like that. Because government believes you're too dumb to protect yourself from a virus. They will mandate that you be protected through the power, the force of some executive action or order. No, we're going to make sure that you that that we're we're going to protect the nation, make sure no not, not so many people die. Uh, because you're too dumb and you're going to go out there and be a super spreader. So then we're going to make it, make it the law that you have to wear a mask, that you can't hold church services, that you can't do these things because those things are going to spread a disease. They refuse to admit that most people, once they realize, oh yeah, it's cold and flu season, they just don't do things like they would in the summertime or the spring. They just Realize that eh, if I hang too long with this guy, I may get a cold. You learn the surroundings. You learn your environment. You learn how you've got to live, and you live accordingly. You cover your mouth when you cough or you sneeze. Somebody else does. You know, when they leave the room, everybody grabs the Lysol, that sort of a thing. 
We've all adapted and we understand that that's the way we lived. And in places where people were allowed to make their own decisions, that's what they did. And they all were fine. But in places where the big machine runs things, those people weren't so fine. The number of cases, the number of fatalities, the number of hospitalizations were all higher in those places because they ignored actual real science and life as it happens around them and opted for the wisdom of the ruling class, the elites, the progressives, those people who are intellectually and morally superior, when in actuality they just think they are. It's a sad state of affairs, but it's where we are today. And you need to understand that these elites and elite institutions are embracing something that is one of the cornerstones of Marxism and that they are, they are laying the groundwork for that becoming prevalent in our society. And we have history to look back on and we know what happens every time what they want to embrace has been embraced. What it does is divide people groups against one another. It tries to convince certain people that they are guilty of certain things that they are not guilty of. And it treats other people groups as fragile and unable to care for themselves. So everyone else must cater to those people. As I told you once before, not long after the Civil War, when the slaves were freed, those slaves given their freedom, began to thrive in our society. Those people brought here against their will, put to work on our land, and their children began to adapt and thrive. The first woman to become a millionaire in the United States of America was a black woman. who started a company making beauty products for black women. The first female millionaire in America. Did she need the help of progressive people? Oh, bless her soul. She and her people have, always, have, been, have been downtrodden. We need to give them a help, a helping hand. If she'd been given a helping hand by progressives, do you think she would have had the wherewithal to stand on her own two feet and make the tough decisions and do the tough things it took to become the first female millionaire in America? I say no. She would have been deferring to the decisions and the thinking of those progressive people looking out for her best interest. And as such, she would have made herself a weakling rather than a victor in her situation. And that's the situation we're looking at right now. That's why they tell us, oh, well, voter ID is wrong. These people can't get ID when the vast majority of them actually have ID. And that's it for today. God bless you. Let's get back together tomorrow for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.